Well, we are hitting a new transition in 1 Thessalonians. You know, the last few weeks we have been looking at sanctification and those first few verses of chapter 3 was on sanctification concerning sexuality, morality, which was a big issue in Paul's day and it's been a big issue in our day as well. And those doctrines of demons that are coming in the last days saying new and different things and boy we see that surprising to us how twisted and and uh, militant and and uh, they won't take no for an answer. They want to push their pagan thoughts of sexuality upon us and, and not, uh, and, and you're very much in the crosshairs if you don't go along to get along with their agenda. And then last time we looked at the love that's supposed to be in our hearts and in our community, and then also how to have a continual witness in the community but today we pick up in verse 13, and this is concerning a question, another question they had concerning the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he who is alive and remains shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus they shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, it's strange because they, their question was, and somebody got them thinking that the rapture was coming so quickly that you've got to be alive in order to be a part of the rapture. And even though this church had only been around for a few months, evidently some of the Christians that were a part of their fellowship had died. And in their infancy as believers, they thought, oh, they can never be with the Lord. They're dead and, and they're, they're never going to live forever. Now, I know that's sort of a silly question from our point of view. I mean, it would be something like, wait, what? How did you figure that? But remember, Paul was only there three Sabbaths with them, four weeks at the most. And we do know that others have come through and given their flavor, and in some cases, out-and-out heresy, often a hatred for Paul himself that have come through. And Paul was ecstatic that they still liked him. <laughs> they didn't buy in with the hate crowd and they weren't rejecting a lot of the things that Paul said. But he said, when we were there, it's special. God's presence was there and you received not our word as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. <clears throat> but Paul says something here that he says three other times in the New Testament. Four times he says in the New Testament, I do not want you to be ignorant. The other times is in Romans 11, 
where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the nation of Israel. And interesting enough, it's a very controversial subject of people saying God's replaced Israel with the church and the Jews killed Christ. Jews did not kill Christ. The Romans did not kill Christ. Your sins put him to death. We killed Christ. He's in every one of us with our sins. But Paul goes into several chapters in Romans to explain the whole plan of God concerning the nation of Israel. But he also said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And again, several chapters on spiritual gifts, which is again, another controversial subject in the denominational world, if you say, they extended uh, various types of churches. That's a very controversial subject. Another time he said, don't be ignorant, was concerning the suffering of Christians in 2 Corinthians 1, in particular, Paul's struggle. Because Paul's enemies, those who didn't like Paul, were saying, this is why Paul has such hardship because he's not teaching the right doctrine. And then when he was put in prison, they were, yeah, God's shutting him up. He put him in prison to get him out of the way because he's not teaching things accurately, which couldn't have been farther from the truth, but they did have the, the stage at the moment to put Paul down. And again, this is one thing he didn't want them to be ignorant about, that his sufferings were all a plan right from the beginning. Remember, before Paul even got saved. God said, I'm going to show how much a Christian must suffer through the life of Paul. And then the fourth time is right here concerning the rapture, the second coming of, or the, the, the second coming of Christ, as so many say. <clears throat> it's funny, as I was putting these messages together, I ended up putting three messages together. I'm not going to preach them all today. Um, <laughs> But I, I've noticed that each time I've taught this, I've sort of gone a certain angle with it. You know, you can take this passage and, and use it to comfort those who have lost loved ones, because it's right there. We're not sorrow as others have sorrow. There's another one explaining the difference between the rapture and the second coming. We often interchange those words and say the rapture, the second coming of Christ. But in reality... They're two completely different things. The rapture is something we don't know when it will happen, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Um, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. No man knows the day or the hour. And it's really not the second coming <clears throat> because Jesus meets us in the air. He didn't really get here to earth. And that's the rapture of the believers. But at the end of the tribulation period, that is the second coming, and we know right to the day. As you look at Matthew and Daniel and Revelation, in the middle of the tribulation period, right exactly at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he actually gives the days, 1,290 days. The Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God right there in Jerusalem from the new rebuilt temple. And from that moment, 1,290 days will be the second coming of Christ. And we will be coming with him. So really, we're not talking about the second coming because that happens at the end of the tribulation and we all come with him. And then there's a thousand year peace on the earth. Really, this is the, the rapture of the church. It's a separate event. 
And the question was concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, sometimes people get confused with that term. What? What do you mean, fallen asleep? Well, it goes way back to the beginning of Genesis. Remember, the Lord told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely what? Die. Now, Satan came in and had a good argument. He said, oh, you're not going to die. Assuming Adam and Eve even knew what the word death meant at that point, because things hadn't died yet. There hadn't been sin. And in in a way, Satan was right. In that day, they didn't fall dead and become fertilizer for the tree of life. They lived, they began the dying process, and they would die in about a little less than a thousand years. But that day, they were separated from God. So the actual term, die, is when you are separated from God forever. And the Christians understood that. So they, they couldn't really say, oh, so that such and such Christian died. Because that would infer that they're dead and it's over. It's the end of the story. So they rather used the term that described their bodies on the outside. And when a Christian quit breathing their last breath, they went to sleep. Their body looked like it was in a sleeping position. And so that's the term they used. And unfortunately, there are some groups that have created what's called the soul sleep. So the the Seventh-day Adventists, for example, and I, I think they're wrong in this doctrine, but they're not excluded from Christianity for this, but they actually believe that when a Christian dies, their soul stays with their body until the second coming of the Lord. So they just sort of sleep in their bodies, whether that's a day or whether that's 2,000 years. It sort of depends whenever the Lord comes. But their point is, is life's eternal. So really, if somebody died 2,000 years ago and went to sleep and the Lord comes back and they wake up, it's going to seem like a second to everybody. That's their argument. Now, they get, take some verses out of Job, which is not a good place to take some doctrine and, and other passages. I, I totally reject that. The Bible makes it clear to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul makes it clear where he says, hey, um, if I stay here, it's better for you. But if I leave this body, I go to be with the Lord. There didn't seem to be any gap of time that, that he would be sleeping. So I, I reject that. Jehovah's Witnesses, they use that term to say you're annihilated. There is no hell. If you're not a Jehovah's Witness, then you just go to sleep and you're annihilated forever. Um, but the word sleep here, again, was to help them understand what happens uh, with the Christian. They very much do not die. A matter of fact, in John eleven twenty five. When Lazarus had died and Mary and Martha were very upset about Lazarus dying, Jesus said to them in John eleven twenty five, 25, a great memory verse, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, what? He shall live. So by no means 
is the death, the ending of our body, of us living in this body, the end of this story. And then, of course, we know 2 Corinthians 5, 8 very well, right? For we are confident. Amen on that? Yes, more than confident. We're well pleased. Rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Notice it doesn't say we're confident once we wake up after a thousand years or once we have a good long sleep, which I'll tell you, the sleep thing doesn't bother me that much. I don't know about soul sleep, but hey, you may sleep for a thousand years. It's like, wow, praise the Lord. Okay, I'm all for that. I, it, it, I'm sort of happy about both. But I'd rather be awake in my brand new body with the Lord. But he, he, he makes it clear to be absent from this body is not to go into a reincarnated state. To be absent from this body is not to sleep for a thousand years. To be absent from this body, there, there's a number of other ideas that man has given us through the centuries. Paul says we are just with the Lord. We go to sleep, so to speak. We breathe our last. And all of a sudden, instantaneously, we feel the back of Jesus' hand upon our cheek. Wake up. Hey. And we open our eyes. And we behold Jesus. And we go from a difficulty, we're going to read about it in a minute, of leaving this body, but we're immediately comforted, comforted with being with the Lord. And then he said, if this weren't the case, then you might sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, we as Christians, we do sorrow. But our sorrow is just, we're going to miss them in, in their presence, their voice, their, their life with us is going to have a missing piece. So we, we sorrow with that. It's sort of, if you've lived long enough to have your kids leave the house and go off to college or, or you've had relatives visiting for several weeks and they're, they're packing up and they're leaving to go back to the other coast and you've enjoyed your time with them for the last several weeks. There is always a sorrow in departure. But those who don't know the Lord and don't understand the relationship with Christ and, and Christian doctrine, it's very different. I've done so many funerals, I can't even count, honestly, I, in the last over 40 years of pastoring. But when you're around non-Christians, it's a very dark place. Whether the person is a believer or not, if the person's a believer, there's always a group of people that are sorrowing in a very different way than the non-Christian relatives that have showed up. Especially when it's a, a young person. You know, you hear them going, this is tragic, this is horrible, this is the end, we'll never see him again. They didn't get to grow up. They didn't get to get married and have a family or they do have a family and boy, they're going to miss them. It's, it's, it's this ending type of sorrow that really does have a, a bitter end to it. It's like when somebody dies, that's the end of the story. 
It's a loss that's going to continue on. It's a tragedy. They had a great life, but now that they're dead, it's horrible. And there's that dark sense of that. But with us as Christians, we sorrow because they're going on a trip. We've departed, and we're not going to be coming back together in this lifetime. But we don't sorrow as having no hope. Because we're going to see them very, very soon. As soon as we leave these bodies. You know, I, our brother Larry, he was in his 50s. He just died, if you're part of the church here, just a few weeks ago now. Not even a few, but two weeks ago. But I, I remember coming back from my 40th wedding anniversary. And I looked uh, on there that because I was actually sick for a few days when I got back, and I, I finally looked up my phone, and Larry had called a couple times, and, and uh, we, we talked pretty regularly. I, 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 I want to say every day, but many times every week, and so it wasn't unusual. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm in the hospital. I've got leukemia. And he was fine when I saw him last. He'd been tired these last several months. But he had gotten to go on a month-long vacation to see all the relatives he hadn't seen in a very long, long time. And just It wasn't like him to take a month off and travel. It wasn't like him just to go on vacation by himself like that. It wasn't like, but he did it for a whole month. He had a great time, saw everybody, visited, came back, and within days... It's funny because he had quit one job on Friday, was starting a new job... on, on Monday, and he found out on that Friday that he had leukemia, or he was sick. They said, you got to go in the hospital, and, and he was there and never went to the new job. Interesting. Uh, but he was able to close out the work chapter as well. Said bye to everybody, and hey, I'm gone. Well, he really was gone. But there Within just a very few days, things went from bad to worse. He, he went from getting chemo to having COVID to everything shutting down within moments. And he's with the Lord. But we, we talked, and I'm like, wow, Larry, this is a fast-acting leukemia, and they're going to buy you some months, really. They're not going to buy you years. And he's like, eh, no big deal. I mean... Worst case scenario, I go to be with the Lord. <laughs> that is not a worst case scenario. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is I live sickly for years, but I, even then, the Lord has a plan for that. So much faith. There was just no hesitation, no doubt. And he even said something like that to me. It's like, well, you know, here, there, in the air, you know, um, be seeing you soon. And sure enough, it was absolutely true, and I sorrow, but I don't sorrow those who don't have hope. We actually joked about it and talked about it, and, and it was just a very um, sure thing. It was no, there was no hesitation of like, man, you know, what happens when people die, Brian? Tell me that story again. Or, now what happens if I were, what, tell me again. What's go, there was, there's no, there was no lack of clarity what happens to the believer when they leave this body and we die we actually just walk through a door just to change address right 
Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. All we do is finally get to open that door (laughs) and walk through into the arms of the Father. It's interesting, as you look in the scriptures, you'll never see somebody who doesn't know the Lord saying that they fell asleep. When you're looking at their body, there is no rest for the wicked. The Bible says they go into Hades, a place of torment, until they're waiting for the day of eternal judgment. Jesus said, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You say, wow, you got to do this, climb this Christian mountain. And if you can, you know, be one of the handful of people to climb the scale, this Christian mountain, you know, this, then you can go to heaven. No, it's simply God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him. There's no mountain to scale. It's a gift of God. The thief on the cross who was mocking Jesus spent his whole life being an incorrigible thief. Romans didn't necessarily crucify thieves, cut off their hand or beat them or imprison them. These guys were beyond redemption. They're going to be crucified, the worst possible death for being thieves. But one on one side and one on the other, not a thief and a rapist or a murderer, they were both equally there for the same reason. They both, with the crowds, went into peer pressure and mocked Jesus. Even on the cross, they're moments away from their own death and they have the energy to mock Jesus with the crowds. That's a hard heart, guys. But Jesus did not waffle. (laughs) The pain, the suffering did did not make him curse, did not make him angry did not make him want to get back. Okay, we'll see who has the last last, you Pharisees. Okay, I may die here in a minute, but I'm going to burn you for it. You know, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And this thief knew, man, even though I'm out of time, even though I'm, now, I'm hanging on this cross, even though I'm going to die in moments, I know it's not of myself that I could ever be good enough to go into this guy's heaven, but Jesus, Lord, When you come into your kingdom, when, not if, but the future, he's a king, he's got a kingdom, he's going to raise from the dead. Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise because salvation is not of ourselves, it's not of works, it's a gift of God. And so our body, yes, is doing all kinds of crazy and weird things, especially as you get older. And it's depressing. And then when it eventually dies, nobody feels good about it. It's always a a moment of sorrow. Even if the person's 110 years old, there's still a sense of loss in that moment. Hang in here with me for a few minutes, and I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, because Paul here just describes it perfectly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse starting to verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. All you old people, amen for that? Get an amen, yes. I used to be. 
Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I feel that way. I, I'm a young, teenage, vibrant kid in my heart and in my mind. For our light affliction, that's our body. Oh, my body hurts so bad. It's a light affliction. It's but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but we, the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, that's eternal. Chapter 5 now, 2 Corinthians. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Let me read that again. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in a tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen to that? We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So don't sorrow as if you have no hope. The eternal things are more real to us than the things that we see that are passing away. Our sorrow is not a permanent sadness. I love D.L. Moody's story when he was on his deathbed. So beautiful. A few hours before he died, he actually got a glimpse of heaven, of glory. He awakened out of sleep and he said, and those around heard his family, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There's no valley here. God is calling and I must go. His son who was standing by his bedside said, no, no, father, you're dreaming. No, said Mr. Moody. I am not dreaming. I have been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces. A short time elapsed and following what seemed to his family to be a death struggle, he then spoke again. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It's glorious. And he died. Wow. Give us a little picture of what's coming. The Lord didn't just take him in one moment. He sort of let his spirit hover between the two, <laughs> the old body and the new body, to encourage our hearts of the reality of that which is not seen is eternal in the heavens. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4.14 now, he says this, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep 
in Jesus. So about the physical body. Jesus' physical body died, but Jesus' physical body also what? Raised again. So we, Jesus, not just his spirit, came into a new body, but actually the physical body transformed and those molecules of the human body were transformed and used. Sort of as the Bible will talk in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's a seed. You know, it always amazes me. You get this little dark brown looking, weird looking shape thing and you put it in the dirt and up comes this beautiful rose bush. And you look at that little seed and it's like, all that information was in there? That beautiful rose bush could be seen in that little tiny seed? That's our bodies here, is just a little ugly seed. <laughs> but within it, God can make that transportation. Now, some people say, well, what happened about the guy who fell in the ocean and got ate by a thousand different fish and swam to the ten different parts of the world. Well, we know today by sweat, you can take the DNA of a person and, and actually see everything about them from the color of their hair to everything. We need one little DNA. But also, is anything hard for God? God's not up there going, oh my goodness, their DNA, uh, their body is like all over the planet and that was 3,000 years ago. What am I going to do? Gabriel, any ideas? Michael, I, uh, you know, nothing's hard for God, right? So again, um, I, I don't think no matter how difficult, I mean, it was nice with Jesus' body, it all stayed in one spot there. Um, but nevertheless, as he rose again, so shall we also who have fallen asleep raise again. Remember in John 20, 20, where Jesus comes into the apostles who were afraid and, and Jesus appears to them. And they're like, ah, oh, it's a spirit. And he says, touch my hand. Look at the holes in my body. And they believed and they were so happy, but Thomas wasn't around. Remember this? And they're like, we saw him. It was him. It wasn't a spirit. We touched the body. And Thomas said, well, it won't be good enough for me. I'm going to have to put my hand all the way in his side and put my finger all the way through his hand I, unless I see him and, and, and physically form and I'm satisfied by touching and poking him. I'll never believe. And Jesus appeared and said, poke away, Thomas. And Thomas says, well, now I believe. And he goes, well, more blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. We don't have to see Jesus in his resurrected body to know that he died and rose again. And so he says, in the same way, those who believe. Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? That's, that's 1 Corinthians 15, right? Paul said, I gave you the gospel in which we stand and in this gospel by which we are saved. And then he says three things that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Do, do you notice here, it doesn't say, and Christ was asleep. It doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, and as Christ went asleep, we also went asleep. 
No, it says Christ died. He didn't have the comforting little sleep that we're going to get. He died with all the sin of the world upon him. Jesus experienced our punishment, and if you would, hell on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He experienced the broken relationship with the Father, not over his own sin, for he never sinned, but over our sin. He experienced death for us, that we will never experience death. Do you understand this? Christ died. We are going to sleep. But Christ died, and we believe that he also rose again, conquering death. That's why we don't die. Jesus conquered death when he bore our sins upon himself. Death will be no more. Oh, death, he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, where is your sting? It was stung in Christ. The stinger stung Christ. It will never sting us. We are with the Lord. So Jesus, it says, because he rose again, that's how we know we're going to raise again, because he was the first of us. And boy, there's so many verses on this. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, it says that um, we are all been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, as Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was the first of what all of us are going to experience. In 1 John 3, he says, little children, I write these things. He says, I don't know what we're going to be like, but I do know this, that when we see him, what? We'll be just like him because he's the first. Colossians 1.18, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He was the first of all those who believe in him will have the same exact experience like him. I love it the way Peter says it in 1 Peter 1.3. He said he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. We don't die. We sleep and we're resurrected. Death is no more. The sting of death is gone because Christ took it away. So we believe that Jesus died. Do you believe Jesus died, guys? Do you believe he rose again? Then you also will be raised again from the dead. If you believe that God has raised Jesus, his son, from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever believes on him will never be put to shame, Romans 10 says. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, verse 15 and 16 here now, as we're continuing for, through 1 Thessalonians 4. For by this we say to you and by the word of the Lord that we all who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will be descended from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
So they've got this trigonometry problem. They're, you know, they're getting the charts out and they got the intellects in the church doing all this difficult math problems and trying to figure out now how, what happens to the dead. They're not going to get to get, be raptured. They're not going to be able to have their new body. They're not going to be able to be with the Lord because they didn't live long enough because everybody that goes to heaven has to get raptured. And Paul says, no, that's not true. That's ridiculous. It's, it's very simple. It's easier to come down. It's faster. You know, don't take my word for it. Don't jump off the house today going, wow, climbing up the house is slower than coming off the house if you jump. So those who are already with the Lord, they're a step ahead of us. And those who are alive on the earth in the rapture, they're a fraction of a second behind those coming down. So there's an arrow pointing down. Those are already those who are with the Lord. And then there's an arrow pointing up. That's the people that are alive who are born again on the earth. And together, the two arrows come together and meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. In the story, there's really no big discussion here. And, and he says, man, I, I don't know why this was in your heads to begin with, but again, people can come up with some pretty weird ideas. So he, he plainly says, those who have already died in Christ are in no disadvantage. They're equal with us. As a matter of fact, they may actually be a little bit advantaged. Those who have already died and are with the Lord may be a little more advantaged because they're going to experience it because they're already with the Lord. Those who are raptured are going to go into the clouds, but those who are coming down at the rapture are right there with the Lord, evidently, so they didn't have the fraction of a twinkling of an eye to, to get caught up into the clouds. But notice what he says here. Number one, he says, Jesus is going to come out of heaven with a shout. Interesting. And he's going to go, yippee, my bride. <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, again, I could preach a whole sermon today on the Jewish wedding feast. Are you guys familiar with the Jewish wedding feast? I'm going to give you a two-second version of it here, but when somebody gets engaged, the guy goes home and he builds a honeymoon suite. Because in the Jewish culture, you don't work for a year, you can't go to war, you just stay in the honeymoon suite and the family takes care of you for a whole year. Does that sound pretty good? Man, so as he's building this home on the family farm, the, when it starts getting close, the friends of the bride go, the roof went on today. I, I saw them starting to put the doors on. And then a little later, they, oh, they're putting furniture in. You better stay at my house. And so the bride and the maids are all spending the night together in this sleepover. And then... The dad has to inspect the house and give the permission. So the son says, I think I'm done, dad. The dad walks in. No, dust again. And put some caulk over there in that corner and 
Not today. But then when it's almost ready, the guys are with the groom, the girls are with the bridemaid, and the dad typically will come in like two or three in the morning and say, okay, son, go get your bride. And they grab everything they can that makes noise and trumpets, and they start marching through the streets, and the ladies hear all the loud noise, and the groom breaks into the house and grabs her up, and off they go to the wedding ceremony for seven days. At the end of the seven days, they have the wedding feast. They have the wedding ceremony, and they continue the feast. This is why Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, but the Father only. Because the Father is the one that's going to give the groom, Jesus, the, for the bride, us, the church, that, that saying. And so many think this is that picture where the son is coming, shouting at the bride, snatching her out of the house, taking her off to the seven-year wedding uh, feast in heaven, as we know is going to happen. But also, notice there, there's also the shout of an archangel. Now, this word shout is like a commander giving a command. And so it's very possible that Jesus gives the command as the commander of the army, and then the archangel repeats that command, sort of echoing what the commander has said. You know, come up here whatever the, the shout, whatever it is. I, I think it's going to be similar to when Paul on the Damascus Road, he tells us that men heard something, but they didn't make out the voice. They, they, they saw that I was being affected by this, and they heard some commotion, but it, it didn't mean to them what it meant to me. So I think the world is going to hear something. I don't think it's going to be this joyful shout of our husband. I don't think it's going to be this beautiful sound of a trumpet that we're going to hear. But you've got the voice. You've got a shout. You've got a voice. You've got a trumpet. The one thing we can say about the rapture is it's not a quiet ordeal. It is a very loud thing. And again, will the world be able to distinguish it? I don't think so. Interesting, as we study through the Old Testament, sometimes the trumpet is used to go to war. Sometimes the trumpet is used for the assembly. I think this is the trumpet blast of the assembly of the gathering of the brethren. From all of times, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way to those who are presently alive, caught up to be with the Lord. Now, when you go into the trumpet, some people get confused, and that's another study I put together on trumpets. So let's all get our Bibles out to Revelation. Let's do a whole sermon on trumpets right now. No, but the trumpets of Revelation are different. Those are the trumpets of angels, and those are the trumpets of war. And I'm not going to go in that today, but this is a trumpet, I believe, of the gathering. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 52. You guys know this passage, right? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the what? Last trump. For the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I think it's the last trumpet of the gathering of the people. 
It's not the last trumpet because there's trumpets in the tribulation period. But it's the last time the trumpet's blown for the gathering of the people. And so we have the shout, we have the voice, we have the trumpet. And those who are with the Lord already who have died arise first. And then after that, all of us on earth get caught up together to be with the Lord. So some people ask the question, well, if we're all going to be getting our bodies together at the rapture, what happens to people who die now? Are they just a, a disembodied spirit with the Lord in heaven? I don't think so, because we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that we are struggling, not wanting to be unclothed, but further clothed, that we would not be found naked. But there are some believe that when we go to be with the Lord, we're in a spirit body until the rapture comes and we get our body. And some, some say, no, you get a temporary body. It's a, a temporary heavenly body, but it's not the permanent body we're going to get that we're going to get at the rapture. And then some say, no, when you die, you get your body. And it's when you come to get raptured, you're with all those getting their bodies, their new bodies at the same time. But you've already had yours since you died. We don't know the answer to this, okay? We do know that there is a unique moment in time. I love in the end of Hebrews 11, the very last verse, it, it, talk, it talks about that all of these people of faith, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, did not receive the promise, and then he's, he ends it by saying, because they should not be made perfect apart from us. So it does appear that to some degree, a new body or a, something, a new graduation, <laughs> we all go through the graduation together in the rapture. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together and with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You, you say, well, Brian, you've been talking all day. Where is the rapture word? I don't see it. Here it is, the word caught up, harpazo. Well, I still don't see the rapture word. Well, if you had a Latin Bible, you would. Why didn't you bring your Latin Bible today? You would see the word rapture. And it's from that doctrine that we get this doctrine that comes over from the Latin. But the Greek word is harpazo, which means a violent snatching away. The same with rapture out of the Latin. And we have English-sized that word to sound like we have it today. We did that with the word disciple. We did that with the word Christian. We did that with the word Jesus. Why don't we say Joshua or Jesus? We've kept, the, we've kept the Greek. A lot of our modern day doctrine and an explanation, and even in worship, like the name of Jesus, we've kept from the Greek. And it is to honor the Greek language. And of course, then with the second was the Latin. And this is how we got this doctrine. But it says the next word, caught up, and then the next word is to meet. This is for honored guests. Interesting. In the Gospels, when it talks about the bride meeting the bridegroom, they meet, it's the same exact word. The honored bride meeting the bridegroom or the bridegroom meeting the bride. It's in this honored moment. And then finally in verse 18, guys, therefore comfort one another with these words. Do you understand this is a, 
in the imperative. It's a command form. It's not saying you be comforted by this. I know a lot of people read that. Oh, now knowing we're all going to be caught up together and be with the Lord in a moment and twinkling of an eye at the last. Now be comforted. It doesn't say that, does it? It says you take this doctrine and comfort others with it. Do you realize this is part of preaching the gospel? You know, when I do a funeral, I tell people, you're all busy. You all had plans. Some of you had vacation plans. Some of you had work plans. So you all had busy plans that were the top priority until this person died and there's a funeral. And you scrapped all your plans, no matter how important those plans were, to be here today at this memorial service. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you need to stop and realize 100% of all of us are going to die unless the rapture comes. And are you ready to be with the Lord? Now, if that terrifies you, it shouldn't. When we talk about death, it should be something that soothes you and comforts you. Not because of some false reincarnation doctrine or, or you die and that's the end of it. You become fertilizer. That's all there is to know. But because your sins have been forgiven through Christ, if you will believe and you will live forever. But I'm also here to tell you that you are going to live forever in spirit, whether that's in hell or heaven. It's, there is no middle ground. So you've been stopped and you're here because you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes when people are hurting over the loss of a loved one, maybe the one or two or three times in their entire life that their heart will be pricked enough to at least listen to the gospel message. It is such a good news, isn't it? God loves us. He did all the work of salvation. It's ours as a free gift. I want to end with John 14. Jesus really talking about the rapture, if you would. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Do you know the way? I love that old hymn, in the sweet by and by, <laughs> we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In that sweet by and by, we'll meet on that beautiful shore the land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed, and our spirit shall sorrow no more, not a sign for the blessing of rest. 
To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of his love and the blessings that hollow our days. In the sweet by and by, we shall gather on that beautiful shore. Amen. Larry, we're coming. <laughs> our brother Dave Diaz, who died this last year, we're coming. And you're going to beat me to the rapture. You're going to get there first. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we do ask that you would put it deep into our souls. That we would go into a very dark and lost world and preach the gospel. That we would be the real sign to the world of what it means to be born again. As we talked about last week, our testimony in the community would be that of a gentle and a quiet spirit, that of minding our own business and not being a busybody, but being a solid human being because our soul's at rest, because you live in us, and it's clear, the moral life that we're to live is clear. The love and forgiveness is clear. The life of a kind person is clear. The, we're not, we're not, this isn't our home. This isn't our kingdom. This isn't our, our, uh, our trophy, our, our, our heaven. This is just a place we're passing through that was once very beautiful before sin entered it. But you are our heaven to always be with you. We're with you now, but we'll be with you in our brand new bodies, in heaven, in a new heavens, and a new earth forever and ever. Until that time comes, Lord, let us go out and comfort this lost and dying world with this words of the gospel. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.